Okay, this morning we're back into Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. We talked on Wednesday evening about the command that Jesus gave us at the end. He said, go into all the world uh, and teach all nations or make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it says, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Uh, this is one of those all things that is the ones that we at times want to, uh, to skip over or not, uh, uh, not spend too much time on. But here we are at Luke uh, chapter 16 and uh, Jesus brings us to a point where we need to consider what scripture says about divorce and remarriage. It is, of course, a sensitive topic and uh, I pray that I address it in, in the, the right manner today to do that. Um, because it can make us a little uncomfortable or, or uh, trying to understand it. You know, it's, uh, it's easy to see facts and figures about, about marriage and divorce in Australia. In 1976, the divorce rate in Australia peaked. In fact, it skyrocketed in 1976 with the change of the, of the Marriage Act, with the introduction of no-fault divorce. And in that couple of years, it skyrocketed. But from 1976... Until now, it has been in steady decline to the point where in 2016, we were at the lowest rate that Australia has. So the the crude rate they describe it as is 1.9 divorces per 1,000 people. That was low. It's gone up just slightly in the last couple of years, but not by much. We're only up to about two per 1,000. And that's that's okay. I mean, that's good. You look at that and say, well, the, the trend is downwards in divorce in Australian culture, but that only gives us part of the picture. It's a good part of the picture, but only part of the picture. What goes along with that is the statistics or the facts on marriage. And in uh, marriage, the rate of marriage is declining. So while rates of divorce are declining, so also is the rate of people actually getting married. That's declining. There are less marriages happening. 87% of the marriages that happen now, uh, 87% of those are people who have preceded their marriage by living together beforehand as well. So that's all part of how it's shaping up here. It's also happening later. So the average age of marriage now is about 30, um, thereabouts. now that's that's basics. Now that's that's those stats and those figures are for first marriages, and there we often hear it thrown around that fifty percent of marriages end in divorce. That's not technically true. That's uh, looking and skewing things. It, it's not that bad. It's really not that bad. However, uh, if we look at second and third marriages and beyond, it does get that bad. So the rate of divorce in a second marriage, over doubles. So 60% of second marriages will end in divorce, and every marriage after that increases that. So it continues to to go up. Now, it's easy to stand and put the figures out and say, this is what the stats show, and this is what it looks like. But the reality is, when we talk about divorce, when we talk about remarriage, we're not talking just about stats. We're talking about people. And with those facts and those figures comes a lot of heartache and a lot of pain. Uh, and guilt and all that goes along with it. So there is trouble. And as we look at what the Bible says today about this topic, about being divorced and 
remarriage. The, the Bible often gets mocked about how it addresses it and what it says about it. But the evidence, all the evidence that we have, as we look at everything that's happened over these, these last years, all the evidence shows us God was right. What God says actually works. And uh, despite what popular opinion is about God's instructions, the, the reason God made the way he did and instructs us the way he did on divorce and remarriage is because he genuinely cares and his instructions are designed to protect us. Despite what popular opinion would have you believe, it's not just a protection or, or a vain protection. God actually designed them especially to protect women. Uh, and we'll see as we go through some of this as we go through. Sadly, much of Christianity is bought into some of the lies of cultural uh, teachings, and we've abandoned the truth. There are, for many people, and, and for some people there is confusion on what the Bible says, but there are two, I guess, main ends on what people think or what Christians think the Bible says about divorce. On the one end, there is the thought that divorce is never right. Uh, that it should not ever happen, and if it does, it's always wrong. On the other end, there are, are Christians who say, well, no, we can look and we can say that it's okay, absolutely okay, and it doesn't really matter the circumstances. As we look this morning, I have bookmarks all through my Bible today because I'll be flicking back and forth. These are the main passages we're going to be looking at today. We're going to read here in Luke chapter 16. That's going to be our beginning point. Uh, but then I'll be referring to these others to take a, a look here at what Jesus says and what the Bible says about it. So let's, let's start here. Luke chapter 16. In fact, we're going to go back to verse 14. I'll read from verse 14 because this comes as part of that conversation. So Luke chapter 16 and verse 14 says, Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things, and they derided him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has, uh, has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced from her husband commits adultery. Let's have a word of prayer as we continue. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to your word to gain instruction about an important and difficult topic, dear God, we pray that you would help us, Lord, encourage us and strengthen us in your truth and in your grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So here, this is where we start. The reason we come to this is because Jesus directly addresses it here and, and uh, speaks to it in this passage where he says in verse 18, whoever divorces his wife, of course, this is, he's speaking directly to these Pharisees, says whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery and whoever marries her who is divorced from her husband commits adultery. Now, Luke here, as records Jesus' word, does not give us everything Jesus says about marriage and divorce. That's why we're going to be looking at these other passages to put it all together. So to take what is said right here as the be-all and end-all of everything Jesus said about it is to miss the greater uh, words of what Jesus says. So we're going to try and look. We can only cover so much. So just as we look at this and we see, 
well, Luke's only given us one portion. At the same time, in 30 or 40 minutes, we can't cover everything, but we're going to do our best to give a broad picture of what God says in this regard. Jesus' teaching is strict. It is strict in terms of what he says, but it is realistic and it is sympathetic. And I hope that we can see that today as we, we go through. The first thing I want us to look at and consider this morning as we think through this is this, that Jesus loves marriage. Jesus loves marriage. In fact, God designed marriage for our good. That was the purpose. Now, we've spoken a number of times throughout the years here on on marriage and what God intends for marriage. And I think in the 14 years, I can recall only two times that I've spoken, at least in part, on divorce. But here... What we know as we have thought and and talked about marriage and we see what God has is that God has designed this for our good. Now, the reason it comes up here in this passage, because it's it's hard, if we put it all together, it seems an odd place for this to come up in Luke. But the reason it comes up here is because God's word has been twisted. See, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he's talking to them as false teachers and he's accusing them and, and directing to them that they don't really care what God thinks. They only care about using the word of God for their own benefit. And so verse 18, when he talks to them about divorce, he's taking a very specific example out of their life, out of the way that they live, and saying, here is an example of how you have completely turned God's word upside down for your own benefit. And so he's striking at the heart of their hypocrisy and their false teaching here by saying very strictly what they have been commanded. They did not care about God's word, only how it benefited. And that's why this statement is so direct. There are other places we'll see here where Jesus speaks a little more about it. But here it's very direct and it's very concise because he is speaking to them to make a very important point. They are using God's word for their own benefit, not for the truth of God's word. In Matthew chapter 19, which we might look at here a little more in a moment, but in Matthew chapter 19, verse 3, it says, The Pharisees also came to him, testing him, and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? So they're throwing out a test here in Matthew chapter 19. They were playing around, and we're going to look at the passage they were playing around with in a moment, but it's Deuteronomy chapter 24. So they took a passage from Deuteronomy 24 and they played around with it because it speaks of divorce being for uncleanness. And the the thing there was, is they were playing around with what the word uncleanness meant. Was it only immorality or was it something less than that or more than that? So at the time of Jesus, there were two main interpretations on that from the Pharisees. The first came from the school of Shammai and that was very strict That was that this passage in Deuteronomy 24 spoke about divorce for adultery only. And that's what it meant. However, the more popular, the most predominant view of the time amongst the people, and particularly among the Pharisees, was from the school of Hillel, which was progressive and liberal and believed that the uncleanness could mean anything. To the point where, at this point, they essentially lived under a no-fault divorce type thing. And they could actually divorce their wife if she made a meal which they did not enjoy. 
that was legal and that was right at the time under the way they interpreted the law. It could be genuinely divorced for the most ridiculous things. And it was happening. Which is why when Jesus comes here to verse 18, he is telling them, you are committing adultery because you are doing the most ridiculous things with God's law. You are showing that you are false teachers, twisting it for their own benefit. God's word in our time has been twisted in the same ways to to make it seem harsh, irrelevant, restrictive, and even anti-women. God is straightforward, and he is restrictive, but he is for our, our good. As I said before, all the evidence shows that his instructions are right and helpful for us. See, in marriage, when God created marriage, and we see that all the way back in Genesis at the very beginning, God created marriage. He created something grand. He created something glorious and beautiful. So when the Pharisees in Matthew 19 and Mark 10, we'll see in a moment, and here in Luke chapter 16, when the Pharisees come to him and throw out these questions, Jesus' first response is always, don't do it. That's always his first response. Don't do it. But there's more to it than that. His explanations and his thoughts on divorce go beyond just don't do it. But why is his first reaction, don't do it? Because in marriage, God created something grand. He created something beautiful, functional, wonderful, and permanent. In one of the parallel passages we were referring to in Matthew, or Mark, I should say, Mark chapter 10 and uh, verse 6. In a similar conversation there where they're trying to tempt him and test him with this question about divorce. Jesus says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. God created marriage for the good of men and women, for our benefit. It's not about power, and it's not about possession. He designed it for our mutual benefit, so that both of those in there, the, the husband and the wife, benefit and grow. So when Jesus teaches on divorce, he is not jumping out and he's not yelling about divorce. When he teaches about divorce, when he speaks about it, he is elevating marriage. He wants us to see the sacredness and the beauty of marriage, not the tragedy and the ugliness of divorce. Biblical marriage is the ideal. It is the ideal. But while that's the ideal, what we also see is that God recognizes the reality of our world. He recognizes the reality of our world. And one of the things that is true in our world is that sin ruins marriage. There is nothing truer. Our our world isn't ideal. When God created it and he set it all up and he designed marriage, he designed it as the ideal in an ideal world. But then sin came into the world. And when sin came into the world, everything was affected. Every part of our relationship, everything about who we are was affected in this manner. And so the world is no longer the ideal, but it is infected with sin and tragedy. 
And when sin came into the world, our focus became self. And if there is anything that is a destroyer of marriages, it is that, self. When we start looking at ourself, self is perhaps the major problem in all marriages. Sin, it's, we're told in Genesis 3, would bring conflict in marriage. So instead of seeing marriage as fulfilling God's purpose, we see it as a way of fulfilling our own self-worth, our own self-value. We all grow and change in these marriages, and that's part of what it ought to be. But we need to see it as a way to build each other and perfect ourselves, not to escape because I no longer feel fulfilled. But while we don't live in an ideal world and the sin that we live in does indeed ruin marriages, marriage is still a gift of God. Even in a world that's not ideal, it is still a gift from God. It's a way that God matures us. It's a way that he teaches us. It's a way that he makes us more like Christ. Kirsten can really irritate me at times. And the reason most of the time that she irritates me so much is because in her, my flaws are exposed. I see my weaknesses. I see where I fail as a man, as a husband. And not because she's pointing it out and bugging me, but because of the way marriage works. But she is also the one that God uses most to fix those issues. This is how marriage works. God exposes us and he uses us together to grow and to make each other what we ought to be. Ephesians 5 tells us that marriage is a picture of the work of God. It's a picture of how God saved and his his sacrificial love and our submission to God and to one another. So Jesus speaks strong on marriage because it is his design and it is his ideal in this world. He knows it works. He knows it fulfills his purpose, even in a world which is not ideal. So when Jesus speaks to it, this is what we see first and foremost in all of this, is that Jesus loves marriage. But it's not technically marriage which we're talking about today, although that is what he's trying to lift up. What we do find as he's teaching is not only that, but that Jesus, because of our circumstances, allows for divorce. There are some circumstances that God allows divorce, and we're going to look at some of these as we go through. But he does so reluctantly. God reluctantly permits divorce. I've referenced this passage already, but let's have a look at it. We'll read through, uh, through it here as we think through this. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, and uh, verse 1 says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, And it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her. And he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. When she has departed from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, if the latter husband detests her and writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her as his wife, then her former husband who divorced her must not take her back to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. 
We'll take some of this apart as we go through this morning, but this is where we want to start here with this. Jesus refers to this passage in Matthew 19 when the, uh, the Pharisees are testing him there. And in that time when they're testing him about this, this is how Jesus responds. In Matthew 19, verse 8, he says, he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, permitted you to divorce. But from the beginning, it was not so. So in Matthew 19, he's referring back to that Deuteronomy 24 passage. The emphasis in Matthew 19 is on the permitted. He permitted it to be. It's not ideal, but God understands. He, he sees it shows that God understands our circumstances. He sees that we are not in an ideal world. He recognizes that we are indeed affected by sin. And he mercifully makes a way to deal with it and to deal with the problems that arise in our relationships because of our sin and our selfishness. God's first choice, don't do it. God's understanding accounts for our sin and aids in our healing. There are some biblical circumstances for divorce, a few. But I want you to understand this as we speak about, about this, because divorce very often in Christian circles has a very strong stigma to it. I want you to understand this. As we talk about this and what God says, I want you to know this. It is not the unforgivable sin. It is not something that can't be forgiven. It is not something that we shouldn't, shouldn't uh, see God's grace and we don't see God's grace in. But because God's focus is on the gift of marriage, his permission of the circumstances of divorce is limited. In Scripture, there are two clear reasons that are given, and then there is at least one other which is inferred. So we'll talk to those just briefly here as we go along. So the reasons that God gives as allowable for divorce, we'll look here, are three. Firstly, adultery. Adultery. In Matthew chapter 19, also Matthew chapter 5, but in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 9, when he is confronting the Pharisees on their test of this, he says, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. The first is perhaps the most obvious reason here that Jesus gives about what might be an allowable circumstance for divorce. And that is if the spouse commits uh, adultery in the marriage. That is a very clear breaking of the marriage covenant. The covenant that God has bound one and one to make one and bind them together has been broken. Now, nowhere in Scripture, and he says this in a couple of places in, in the Bible, but nowhere in this circumstance does God ever mandate divorce or encourage it. Okay? And we'll, we'll get to some of the nuances of this as we go along. But while he permits it, he doesn't say it must be. There are better ways to deal with it. The, the ideal is to seek forgiveness and reconciliation, ideally. 
The second of the, the very clear uh, reasons or uh, things that we give which are allowable in Scripture for divorce is abandonment. Abandonment. As we look uh, into to what Paul has to say about marriage in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we're brought here into a context of Paul looking at relationships, particularly the relationship between a believing spouse and an unbelieving spouse. What happens in that relationship? And so here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 12, it says, But to the rest I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? In the circumstances where we have one spouse being an unbeliever and the other a believer, if in the event that the unbeliever wants out of the marriage, it's okay to let them go. Paul says it's okay. Don't fight over it. Don't argue over it. Again, just like with adultery, it's not a command and it's not encouraged. There could be other ways ideally to work it out, but... If the unbeliever spouse is wanting to leave the marriage relationship, this is permitted by God. It is permitted. It is not ideal, but we're not forcing the unbeliever to live as a believer. And in the end, as Paul draws us to the end of that, the end is very clear. The end in letting them go is the same as in hoping they will stay, and that is ultimately we want to keep peace so that we will see their salvation. That's the ultimate end of that whole process. Those are the two very clear ones in Scripture, which God says he permits divorce to, to happen under circumstances of adultery and in circumstances of abandonment, where an unbelieving spouse wants to go. But there is, in our culture now, as in very forefront at the moment, the, the real uh, issues of domestic abuse. What do we do with that? Is it okay for an abused spouse to leave the marriage? And I believe that that comes under a permissible uh, reason for divorce. Now, I'm going to explain a little bit why. I can't, we, we haven't got the time to go into all the details and pick it all together. Because what happens is... Uh, the Bible doesn't directly speak to this. So there is no passage in Scripture where it says if a spouse is abused, divorce is permitted. However, the principles throughout Scripture about what marriage is and about how we're to treat one another and what God expects seem very strong to indicate that this is a permissible reason for divorce to take place. Because the Bible is very clear. That abuse of a spouse is sin. 
In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, this speaks directly more to the husband about his relationship to the wife. It says, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honour to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of the life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, please don't misunderstand or focus on the weaker vessel part. That isn't about the husband being in control. The verse, the whole verse is about telling the husband that he is to treat his wife with absolute respect. That's what it says. A husband is to treat his wife with absolute respect. The marriage covenant that God designed is a lifelong promise to love, to care for, and to protect one another. That's what we enter into under the the guidelines of God in marriage. Jesus' anger at the Pharisees in in Luke and in Matthew and in other places, his anger at them over their divorce is because it was a form of abuse. They were abusing these women because they didn't do something they liked. So they would throw them out of their, their house and out of their relationship and they'd find somebody else and they'd move their way through. That's why he was so angry and so pointed with them because they were abusing these women. In 1 Corinthians 7, where we read just a moment ago in verse 15, it says, But if an unbeliever departs, let him depart. Now, that's uh, the clear reading is if they want to go, let them go. But the word depart actually gives us a little bit more. It means to cause a divide, to separate. So it has to do with pulling apart a marriage. So if there's an unbeliever who is pulling apart a marriage, this would suggest to us in the way that it's written that one of the things there, that anything that is dragging or pulling apart a marriage to its destruction is a reason why divorce might be permissible. Abuse is the breaking of the covenant of God in marriage. In Ephesians chapter 5, we're given a picture of what marriage is about. He's teaching us what marriage is. And he says marriage is a picture of the sacrificial love that Christ has for the church. He gives himself entirely and fully for the church. And so a husband is to do that for his wife. And a wife is to love her husband in the same sacrificial way. If there is abuse, it is no longer that picture. It is no longer what marriage was intended to be. The overall purpose of marriage and the truths of Scripture would seem to support the permitting of divorce because of abuse. But let's move. We had to say, we've only got time to just brush over it. So we can deal with questions and things later if there's more to it. Jesus loves marriage. Jesus permits Divorce. And thirdly, finally this morning, Jesus wants you to have a strong marriage. That is his goal. That is his ideal. That is his desire and his love. He wants you to have a strong marriage. So everything that Jesus says in terms of the the restrictions of what divorce has is designed to this end. Think carefully about your choices. Think carefully about the choices that you make. There is within scripture, as we will look here, the options for 
remarriage after divorce. Where the Bible permits divorce, it also permits remarriage. But where the Bible defines a divorce as being uh, illegitimate, it also finds the marriage beyond that illegitimate. But where it permits divorce, it permits remarriage. We'll see this in just a moment as we look back in Deuteronomy 24. See, the Bible's instructions on divorce isn't bondage for women, for women. Although some people would have us look at it that way, it is, in fact, protection. Consider for a moment, in divorce, who suffers most out of the spouses. More often than not, not always, but more often than not, it is women who suffer most out of divorce. They are put in the most vulnerable positions in divorce. So then, as now, divorce was being used as a power mechanism. That's why Jesus addresses it so strongly there. Now, back in Deuteronomy chapter 24 and in verse 4, it says here, Then her former husband, who divorced her, so this is after a divorce has taken place, says, Then her former husband, who divorced her, must not take her back to be his wife after she had been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. So the circumstance, a man divorces his wife, she marries another. That other man either divorces her or dies. The first husband is not allowed to marry her again. By what it says in Deuteronomy 24. We've got to ask why. Why is that? The reason here about why is this is a warning about the sacredness of marriage. What God is saying is saying, think very, very carefully about what you're about to do because you cannot go back. The mistake you are about to make is very, very serious. That's the warning of Deuteronomy 24, verse 4. It is a warning here to the here, particularly to the husband, to say, be very careful about the choice you're going to make. And it is a protection on the wife because she is going to be put into very vulnerable positions because of his selfishness. That's the instruction that God gives there, and that's why he gives the instruction there. If you're going to do this, make sure. Make sure you're doing the right thing for the right reasons, not some selfish reason. Now, none of this, of course, absolves women of all guilt, but it recognizes that more often than not, women are the victims of divorce more than the perpetrators. He uses a word here which might be a little confusing in verse 24, which is defiled. But that word defiled isn't there because of a sexual relationship. So it's not saying because she went and had a relationship with another man that she is defiled. It actually has more to do with the awful situation that she has been put in as a result of her husband's selfishness. So it's not speaking of herself because she has been defiled by another man, but rather that she is now in an awful situation because of the selfishness of others. That's the, the, the intent of the passage there. Remarriage can be an option. 
Life and marriage, we need to remember, isn't about self-fulfillment. We hear far too often these days that I'm just, just not getting what I need for me here. But marriage isn't about you. Marriage was designed for us. So why God says a man and a woman leave their parents and the two become one. It's designed to be that. It is about us to see the purpose of God. So let me finish with these four lessons, shall we say, that we can take. Did I put those in? I missed it. Four lessons. Firstly, take marriage seriously. Take marriage seriously. Marriage is a sacred institution. It's designed by God for our good. It's designed by God for his glory. It's not something to be entered into lightly. Take it seriously. Number two, love your spouse. Love your husband. Love your wife. Genuinely, biblically love them. And that means loving them when it's difficult understanding why it's difficult. It's difficult because we have two selfish people trying to become Christ-like, living in the same house. It's the work of God in our lives. Love them even when it's difficult. Humbly seek forgiveness and readily give it. Understand there is a greater purpose in marriage than meeting your desires. Take marriage seriously. Love your spouse. Thirdly, Divorce is a last resort. There are, yes, places where God does permit it to happen. But the Bible never requires it and never encourages it. The Bible firstly directs us to seek reconciliation. To seek forgiveness. To, to show repentance. More often than not... At the heart of divorce is one of two, usually both, of these things. A lack of forgiveness and a lack of repentance. Those two things, rarely one or the other, usually both, are what lead us to the place where we find ourselves in a situation we think irreconcilable. A lack of forgiveness and a lack of repentance. And fourthly, and finally, no matter whether you're married, divorced, or single, God's grace is sufficient. No matter what your state is, married, divorced, or single, God's grace is sufficient. It is sufficient for every part of our life. God has an ideal, but he works in a real world which has been marred by sin. He understands our circumstances. He knows marriage isn't easy, and his grace is sufficient to grow you in it. Divorce isn't the end of God's love for you either. It doesn't mean that all is lost. His grace is as sufficient in the divorce to, to take you through the healing and the forgiveness and the pain that you have gone through as it is in any other circumstance.
He forgives and like everything else will bring good from the heartache and the pain. And singles, if you're not yet married, Paul talks about about this as a single and he says, God is enough. He is enough. So don't rush into something you don't need to rush into. He is enough. His grace is good. Married, divorced, or single. Most people go into marriage with high hopes. And we go into marriage blissfully unaware of how hard it will be. God knows the struggles and he understands and is there to strengthen you through the tough times. He is using marriage to make you a better person. So commit to God. And in committing to God, commit to one another. But also be assured that if your past has the pain and the hurt of divorce in it, God cares. God cares. It's not ideal, but he understands and he will work in you for your good. He forgives the sin that led to it. He will heal your heart and he will give you grace. Because God is always faithful. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your word you speak to us about every part of life. You help us to understand what is good and what is right for us. You show us the ideal, what to pursue, but you also help us when we don't reach that ideal. Dear God, I pray that you would help us to grow, to learn, to trust your grace. Dear God, I pray for the marriages that are represented here today, that you would strengthen them, you would build them, that they would be beautiful examples of Christ's love for his people. Lord, for those that have experienced the heartache of divorce, I pray, dear God, that you would bring peace, forgiveness, and healing. We thank you, dear God, that while we are not always faithful to one another or to you, you are always faithful to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.